Welcome to the Summit County HealthCast, a podcast to improve the health and wellness of residents in Summit County, Utah. Join us as we interview local experts, professionals, and more to provide you with the best health and wellness tips Summit County has to offer. Let's get started. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Summit County HealthCast. We're here today with Phil Bondurant and he is the Director of Environmental Health here at the Health Department. How's it going today, Phil? It's going well, Derek. How are you? I'm good. Glad we could have you today. So just getting started off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been here at Summit County, some of your interests outside work, different things like that. Well, as we started off, my name is Phil Bondurant, and uh, I work for the Summit County Health Department as the Director of Environmental Health. Coming up on my three years here with Summit County, it's been a good three years. We've accomplished a lot in that time, and I'm looking forward to another many multiple years with Summit County doing what we're doing here. Some of the interests that I have outside of work are I'm married with three kids, and so they occupy a lot of my time. Right. Uh, I spend a lot of Saturdays doing typical dad things of gymnastics and dance recitals and wrestling matches, so I enjoy watching my kids grow and learn and, and succeed in the things that they're doing. And, and when I find time, I enjoy being out in the hills doing anything outdoors. Tell us a little bit about what you did before you came here to work at the health department. So I've, I've been in working in environmental health for close to 15 years now. I started in environmental health right after I finished my undergraduate degree in Las Vegas, Nevada, working for the health department down there in environmental health. And that was during the time when West Nile virus had just taken off. So I was brought on as a vector control technician, killing mosquitoes and catching rats and mice and testing for things like hantavirus and plague and uh, rabies in dogs. And from there, spent close to 10 years in Las Vegas doing environmental health down there. Went back to school and got a master's from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in environmental health. From there, in uh, late 2012, I went to central Utah down in Richfield and became their director of environmental health for about two years. In February of 2014, a job opened up here in Summit County and I jumped at the opportunity to come up here and bring my my knowledge and skills to Summit County and work here in environmental health. How does somebody get into environmental health? Is that what you wanted to be when you were little, when you grew up, or how um, did that happen? Well, I wanted to be a professional baseball player growing up, oh, okay. but uh, that was quickly and abruptly stopped when I realized that when you're not starting for a college baseball team or playing college baseball any longer, that that's not going to happen. So. I met my wife and decided it was time to focus on my studies and decided that when I got out of school I needed a job that did biology and I thought that you know killing mosquitoes and trapping rats and doing that stuff and being in the field all day was fun and exciting and so that's what I started down the road doing and it kind of blossomed from there and I was able to get into a, a few different other programs and take on some management roles and realized that I really liked environmental health and doing what we do. Now that you're the environmental health director here Talk about some of the things that that job entails. Summit County, the County Council has described environmental oversight as one of their priority objectives. Um, that environmental oversight includes the, the oversight of the, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat. So what we do in environmental health is make sure that the general public is safe. 
and that we're protecting our natural resources here. So we, we do everything from inspect the installation of septic systems to drinking water systems and then on the other side we do food inspections and make sure that any time that there's one of those things falls in with air, water, or food that it's been inspected and it's been to the best of our ability make sure that it's safe and that's what we do. You know water is one of the biggest things here in the West, and that's one of our top priorities, is making sure that our water is clean. We sample water, we test water, and we work with the water companies to make sure that everybody has good, clean drinking water. And, and my job is to make sure that staff needs what they, or have what they need to be successful. So you talked a little bit about water um, being kind of a, a big focus, obviously out here when we're, seems perpetually in a drought. What are some changes you've seen since joining the health department in the past few years? When I came on to the health department, there was some mixed feelings among the community about what the health department did. We are a regulatory agency by nature, and that's what our job and our delegated authorities lead us to do, is to make sure that people are safe through regulation. But some rumors or, or misconceptions were out in the community that we were strictly a punitive agency, when in fact we're not. We're, we are more partners in this in our jurisdiction than we are anything. and so. One of the biggest changes I've seen is see our staff go from just strictly regulators and food inspectors to community partners where not only are we out there doing inspections, but we're providing assistance when it's needed. We get called mm -hmm. upon regularly to come out and say, hey, I have this situation. Can you come out and just give me a look and see what you think? And, and we're happy to go out and provide that type of assistance and say, you know, this is what we think. This is what you have to do by rule. This is what we can get away with. This is what you have to do. I think that that transition that we've seen from strictly punitive regulators to community partners is huge, and that's something that we value in environmental health and that we put a lot of emphasis on with the staff is to make sure that you are first and foremost a community partner and a regulator second. And I think that's an important focus that we have here is you know, not just showing up and knocking on people's doors when things go bad. We have to inspect your septic system or we have to put a boil order in place, but basically being in, being engaged with people around around the clock i guess you could say rather than just when things go bad right and you know we we pride ourselves on having compliant uh, permit holders within our county and we want to make sure that everybody's compliant but we want to make sure that they're doing what's right for the right reasons and and we stress cooperation before regulation and so we want people to understand why there's regulations in place why they're expected mm -hmm. to follow these regulations not just this is the rule you you broke this rule essentially now this is the consequence we this rule wasn't followed here's why it wasn't followed here's what you can do to follow it so that next time we don't have to have this conversation what that does is it creates a partnership or or a relationship with that regulated entity that they realize that that first and foremost that we're there to help them mm -hmm. and that's what we want to do is provide that assistance now if it comes down to it and we have to be regulative then we deal with it when we cross that bridge but first and foremost if we can get people on board seeing what we're trying to make them do or, or seeing what they should be doing and why they should be doing it then we've accomplished it and we're much more efficient that way and it's a pretty big job i know between kind of the health side of things and then the more i guess what people would consider environmental like the the septic systems and stuff like that you guys are pretty busy year-round almost it seems like yeah the growth that summit county's experienced over the last few years has taken away what we consider to be shoulder seasons where there was a little bit of a break before and after it kind of came to a head we had a big peak in 
in the summer and then a peak during ski season. And, and then the valleys in between were where times where we could take a step back, catch our breath, reassess, get things in order to be prepared for that next big peak. Mm -hmm. We're seeing those valleys are getting shallower and shallower each year. And, and you're exactly right that our emphasis in, in trying to stay up with what's going on is a year-round thing. And so we stay, whether it's food inspections, tanning salons, or septic inspections and water system inspections or sampling, clear down to the lab and assessing the, the lab samples that come in. We keep busy year-round. So we've kind of talked a little bit about your department overall and what you guys offer, but what's something that maybe you see as you're out in the public that people don't really know about, or what is the service that environmental health offers that you wish more people knew of and took advantage of? I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I think one of the things that I would hope the community has started to come around and, and grasp the concept of is that we're, we're great assistants. We can help you with problems. Just because you call the regulatory agency because you have a problem doesn't mean there's going to be penalties involved. In fact, most of the time there's not penalties involved. We are a resource on many different levels from trying to determine what's wrong with the septic system to making sure that a design that you paid for for your septic system is appropriate and it's going to work for your system. You know, there is a monetary cost associated with that. It's also a fail-safe for the homeowner in that they can look to us to evaluate what they paid somebody to do. And we can make sure that it, they're not getting taken, that the system that's going in is going to be compliant, that they're not going to have to dig it up so that we can inspect it later on. They're not going to have to worry about wastewater or sewer problems in their home. And that goes the same for the restaurant owners in the public. A lot of times, We'll have restaurant owners come to us and say, hey, we have this idea and we want to we want to bounce it off you guys and see what you think. What that does is in the beginning, it takes away that financial commitment from them to just maybe try something that in the back end could come back around and make it be more expensive. So when they come to us first and we say, okay, great, we can help you with that. We need, you know, this list of things from you. It makes them more efficient in, in what they're trying to achieve as well. So if I could answer that in, in one simple sentence, I would say, Trust that, that we're here to help you and that we're not here to penalize anybody, but make sure that they get exactly what they need when they need it. It's an important message for people to know is that we're here to help, not just to slap you on your wrist or something exactly. like that. Getting into this time of year, I believe when this comes out, it will be January and we'll be just about into peak inversion season down in the valley. And I know being up here in Summit County where we've got the mountains and the clear blue skies, sometimes it's hard to think of or maybe consider air quality a concern of ours. But another thing that your department does is focus on air quality. And it's actually maybe not as big of a problem, but it should be as big of a concern for us up here, even though we can't see the, the effects. Isn't that right? Yeah. Due to our topography, we have concerns over PM 2.5. Back in 2015, in the Snyderville Basin, we implemented the solid fuel wood-burning appliance ordinance that essentially eliminated the ability to put a wood-burning fireplace in new construction simply for the fact that we've been seeing trends over the last few years where PM 2.5 is on the rise. And, and it, could, could you tell us what PM 2.5 sure. is? So that's particulate matter, and there's, there's two different types of particulate matter. There's PM 2.5 and then there's PM10. PM10 is the stuff that you can see. PM2.5 is the stuff you can't see, and that's referring to the, the size. So particulate matter 2.5 is 2.5 microns big. PM10 is 10 microns big, and that's the stuff that comes out of exhaust pipes that you see a smoking vehicle or okay. the emissions from a standard chimney off of a home when you see the wood-burning fireplace going and it's emitting the smoke. That's PM10. Accompanying PM10 is PM2.5. 
And that's the smaller stuff that we know comes along with the bigger stuff, but we can't necessarily see it. And it's a common belief in all air quality models that if you monitor for 2.5 and you know that that's a problem, you also have a PM10 problem. So there's no sense in monitoring for the PM10 and not knowing what's going on with the 2.5, but you monitor for that smaller particle knowing that the, the, the bigger particle is there as well. So we monitor for that simply not because we are required to, but because we want to have an understanding of what's going on. And that's how we identify those trends of as the temperatures decreased, the particulate matter 2.5 went up. And so we were getting opposite trends into where there was a correlation between temperature and the amount of PM 2.5 we were experiencing on our monitors. And so that was the result is we realized that we have a number of different influences that are contributing to the PM 2.5 readings. Many people feel it's, it's the vehicles and studies show that here in Summit County vehicles aren't as big a concern as we would have thought. And the traffic that's coming through from Salt Lake and, and from the basin with the oil industry, we can't regulate them because they're not registered here in Summit County. So the next biggest thing that we have in assessing that data was that fireplaces create PM 2.5. Moving forward, any new construction as of 2014 is not allowed to have a fireplace within the Snyderville Basin area. Now what that does is that gets us to a point to where we believe we are staying status quo with our air quality. We, we understand that we have peaks and valleys throughout the year and PM 2.5 is typically only associated with the cold weather because the air is denser, it doesn't travel out as much. But in the same regard, we don't want to allow what we know already is beginning to become a problem to just stay as it is. So we proactively monitor it. We are working on strategies for anti-idling campaigns, things that we can do that are behaviors that are simple to help with the air. Now, I, I said that this, you know, emissions testing in Summit County will have little impact, but that doesn't mean that because a, a car is compliant with the emission standards that it's still not contributing to the problem. And so we ask through the anti-idling campaign and that, that, that people be cognizant during times when they don't have to idle their cars that they don't. They turn them off when they're at the bank at the drive-through or they're at McDonald's at the drive-through because any little bit we can limit that influence, the better off we're going to be. I believe in the future that if, if this air quality problem continues to grow and become a bigger issue, that we'll be more aggressive in handling our air because unfortunately, once you reach a level where your air has gone to become bad, it's hard to go back. But it's much easier to start at a level where it's limited and be more productive in the end. I think definitely that's a big focus, not only in the winter, but in the summer times as well. And I'm sure as summer approaches again, we'll get into more about the air hazards that are caused by wildfires and things like that. Big message right now, I think, is, you know, just read up on anti-idling and on when you need to have your car running and try to cut back on that. Right. And, and I would just throw out there that if they have questions about air quality monitoring, our website has a live feed for PM 2.5 measures both in the Snyderville Basin area as well as Colville. So that data is always available and they can contact us at any time if they have questions or concerns. Every ski season we get calls from around the world wanting to know what our air quality is because we're so closely associated with Salt Lake mm -hmm. that when they see the, the national news about Salt Lake's air quality, we get associated with that. Right. So we'll get calls on a regular basis What's your air like? Is it safe to ski there? And that information is all available on our website, but it's also, we can, you can call in and we can, we'll give you the details and be honest with you about what we're doing up here in air. So we've, we talked about air quality and kind of 
what we're doing to mitigate the damages and possible impact of that in the future. But what are some other environmental health challenges that you feel Summit County may face in the next 10 years or so? I think that we have two challenges that are on the horizon and they're interrelated in a very uh, roundabout way. So the first one is wastewater. Summit County has a good portion of it on the east side is very rural and there's a high influence of septics over there. And that's not a bad thing and it's not a good thing. It's just that's the way it is. 20 to 25 years ago, there was a number of septic systems that were in the same boat that our east side is in right now that were being installed as development occurred in Snyderville Basin. Those septics are now reaching the end of their lifespan. Uh, 20 to 25 years on a septic system is considered pretty good is the way they're designed. And now that they're reaching their lifespan, we're faced with the how are we going to alleviate this problem? Do we get sewer there? Do we continue to put band-aid fixes on septic systems? How do we put a septic system on a lot that's too small to have a septic system to begin with? You know, these are issues that are, are big issues for people. Nobody has, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't have the money to spend twenty dollars to $25,000 to repair their septic system just floating around. <laughs> and that's not um, something you really have a, a piggy bank for, no, I don't think either. and it's not. And, you know, there's this common dogma that people in Park City are extremely wealthy. Well, in fact, while the real estate prices here are extremely high, the majority of homeowners owned their home before the boom occurred and before real estate spiked. And so these are average working class families that, yes, they have a house that has a very high value, but their income hasn't changed. And so a lot of times we find that they get into a situation and, and it, their system fails and they don't know what to do. And again, that goes back to come to us, let us help you come up with a solution. We're faced with determining now 20 years later if we need to get sewer to these areas or not and the reason that that is such an important thing is because of the second point as our drought continues in the west and there's been predictions that we're moving towards more of a, a northwest type climate where the snow is going to start to decrease and we're going to get more average rainfall over the course of the winter we are not set up as an infrastructure to retain year-round rainfall we are based on the natural flow of retaining snow in the high mountaintops and then that melting off into the summer and feeding our summer water supply. Well, in the meantime, while that drought's occurring and we're in this transition stage, our water is very limited. And if we don't protect our water, essentially then areas become almost polluted or unbuildable because there's no clean drinking water. And when we already have a limited source to begin with and then we start contaminating sources with groundwater influence, we've got ourselves a much bigger problem than just a few failed septic systems. So in a roundabout way, both of those items are on the horizon for environmental health and that one, how do we proactively address these issues and two, how do we make sure we maintain what we already have so that the people that live here aren't at risk of having limited water in an already limited environment. Just before we close up, and we've already touched on this a few times, but just to reiterate for everyone, if there was one thing you wanted the public to know about environmental health, what would it be? That we are doing our best to be proactive, that we are not only working for what we have here in the immediate future and what, what the need is right now, but we're looking beyond the next five years, the next 10 years to determine our plan and our approach to make sure that during that time frame, we've, we've done what we can to protect what's going to be needed in our best estimation for the coming years. While we continue to conduct studies about water influence and continue to implement policies that now seem punitive, but we know in the future will have benefits, 
Those aren't to cause problems for anybody or to make life difficult, but what it is meant to do is address those issues that we foresee coming up in an effort to do what we've been delegated to do with our authorities and in an effort to protect the general public. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Summit County HealthCast. For news, program information, and more, visit us at summitcountyhealth.org. Stay healthy, Summit County. 